Welcome to the DC Yoga Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Parkinson. Today, we have Nancy Talley. Nancy began her yoga journey in 1997 while working in the Los Angeles fast industry to relieve stress and insomnia. After exploring kundalini and restorative yoga, she found her calling to be vinyasa yoga teacher and attended the White Lotus Foundation for her 200-hour yoga teacher training to study under Ganga White and Tracy Rich. Did I say that right? Yes. Perfect. Nancy received her 500-hour yoga teacher training through Beloved Yoga in Rested, Virginia in 2012. She studied yin yoga under Bill... Biff Mithofer. There we go. And self-awakening yoga therapeutics with Don and Amba Stapleton. Nancy reminds her students to work with compassion towards themselves and to stop and enjoy the journey rather than focus on the final pose they are trying to achieve. She purchased Soaring Spirit Yoga in 2010 and hopes to continue to serve the growing community in Prince William County and surrounding areas. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you, Chris. Great to be here with you. Yeah, it's so great to have you on. I always, like whenever, because, you know, yoga teachers sometimes have names that are kind of hard for me to pronounce if I haven't had any um, experience with them. So thank you for chiming in there and, and helping me out with the pronunciations. It especially gets really hard with people who studied in India, and I'm like, uh, how do you say that name, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so cool. So tell us a little bit about where exactly you are in, uh, in Virginia and a little bit about your studio. So I'm down in Occoquan, Virginia. So it's a little bit south of Lorton, which is south of Arlington, trying to give people who aren't familiar so much. Um, we are on the river. So Occoquan is a Native American word for mouth of the river. So it's part of the Potomac, kind of goes through. And it's a very small little, small old town kind of feel place. Um, really beautiful on the water. And um, yeah, not, it's um, mom and pop shops. So you're not going to run into all of the, the big box stores or the chain retail. So it's kind of nice, it kind of gives you that, you feel like you're back in time a little bit. Mm -hmm. So how did, you, how did you find yourself in Okaquan? Well, um, the places you could have ended up after LA. <laughs> well, I know, hilarious. Well, my husband at the time ended up landing a job at one of the Smithsonian's, and he is from the Maryland. He was from the Maryland area, so he said, "I really would love to be near my family because we lived we um, lived down in California for you know, 18 years, we had, we had our daughter and everything. And then he's like, well, what if we move back to my side of the country? And I thought, why not? So I sort of mm -hmm. took this leap and really interesting story. So my daughter and I drove, she was 18 at the time, drove across the country. And the day we arrived, Soaring Spirit Yoga Studio opened like the same day, which is really crazy. Of course, I didn't find it right away, but as I settled in, um, and the owner, Summer Kaiser, who opened the studio originally in 2009, I just, it was the nearest studio in, from where we lived. We were down a little farther south in Greece. And so I just kind of wandered in and I was trying different places and finding mostly like fitness yoga. And I, I found this little studio and I loved it, started going all the time. And the next thing I know, I'm teaching, and then uh, the owner says, I'm, I'm uh, moving out of the area 
you want to take over? And I'm just like, take over, run a studio. I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I just sort of jumped in. So it sort of landed in my lap. The studio just literally landed in my lap. But I had experience running a recreation department with a bunch. We had, I think we had like 40 different teachers. We had all these different rooms. So I had the experience of working with people at that capacity. So taking over here was a cakewalk comparison. I mean, it's one studio room. Um, so it was, it was pretty awesome. That's, was, aw that's a pretty incredible story. The universe, it just happened. I had no idea. Um, it just sort of, universe decided this is what we're gonna do. And I said, okay. And there's really no way to prepare yourself for running a yoga studio. I mean, you can be a yoga studio manager and you can do all the kind of that stuff, but unless you've actually run like a gym or some sort of something like that before, it's really each yoga studio has its different right things that you can't really prepare for. You can, you can sort of prepare, but you can't really understand it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough job running a yoga studio. It is. And I think my experience running or working in a rec department really helped just, you know, I had to do contracts with instructors and do payroll. That was all my, stuff so then i just had to figure out the the more businessy stuff the you know um maintenance and bill paying and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so it really was one of those things that just happened i had a, luckily i had a couple of years experience doing karma work at a studio in california so i did you know i did see how the things worked we didn't use mind body back then or anything fancy but you know i had that um, experience of, you know, I would come in, first thing I would do is sweep, water the plants, you know, I had little things that I did, nobody asked me to do specifically, it was just the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that the person who opened the studio, I think she recognized that and was like, wait, this person actually, you know, gives a shit about the space in the community. And, and so um, that's, it just sort of happened. And I just love it. Mm -hmm. Tell us about starting yoga out in California. You said you worked in the fashion industry. Yes. Mm, yes. So middle school, high school dream of being a fashion designer, like yeah. Vogue, you know, having and all this glamour, just kind of being wrapped up in that and thinking that that would just be so awesome and just not sleeping, not taking care of myself and this was, I mean, in the 90s, we still had the cardboard and rulers and, I mean, patterns were cut by hand. You didn't have the digital stuff like now. And the pattern maker was just like, you need to go to yoga because I was probably <laughs> like, wow. And I'm like, yoga, yoga. Okay. So I look at um, Pasadena City College had a, a catalog and it had some yoga in it. And I didn't know. I mean... There were three choices, and the Kundalini one was um, an area I was more familiar with. So I'm like, okay, I'll go there. And I go in there, and I don't know what to expect. You know, wearing shorts and a tank top, whatever. And, um, you know, we're chanting, and I'm like, okay, you know, I don't know what this means. I'm sure he explained it, but I'm just... But I completely fell asleep in Shavasana, 20 people in a room, and I'm thinking, okay, I can't fall asleep in my own safety of my own bed. Yeah. Um, so it was one of those just something shifted. And I'm, I'm like, okay, this, there's something here. This is really, there's more to this. This isn't just some breathing and chanting. 
and um, I just loved it. I found myself chanting all the time. Mantra is a huge part of my um, personal practice. I do my japa. I make malas. So I, I mean, this in Sanskrit really is something I'm super connected to. Mm-hmm. So then you know how it is. You start looking for more. You're like, what else? What else? What else? And I think I got a little scared with Kundalini. They're like, well, if you become a teacher, you have to wear white. And you have to cover your head. And I, you got to have the guru on your altar. And I just, I wasn't raised um, with religion in my household. So that didn't, I just wasn't sure about that. So I said, let me look around. Let me see what else there is. So Now, it was so, so Kundalini was your first class. Very first. Wow. That's, that's like <laughs> mind blowing, right? Because like, even for somebody like I took my first Kundalini class like last year and I had already been teaching yoga for six years at that point, And my mind was sort of blown by it. I couldn't imagine like walking in there having no yoga experience. I know. And we're like doing the 100 sort of with hyperventilation. Yeah. I remember I just was so, I was young and I just went with it. I was like, I don't really know what this is, but, and I, I'm so thankful. Yeah. Nancy, did you grow up in California? I did. I did. Um, I was born up in Santa Rosa, which is up north. Hippie area. Um, and then we ended up in Southern California when I was in middle school. That's when the fashion design and all that started. The dream. Of course. Yeah. So where did you, so where did you kind of gravitate after the first Kundalini experience? Well, let's see. Shortly after that, I started working in this rec department and we had um, yoga there and the teacher also taught at some yoga studios. So I started kind of getting more comfortable and I started doing restorative at this one studio with her. And then I just, I remember the, the owner had one of those $99 monthly unlimited for December. And I just took every class I could. Mm-hmm. And just that's when I met vinyasa in all of the those types of practices, and I I just was blown away. I was like, no, this is it. Um, and most of the teachers at that studio at that time were they went through White Lotus Foundation with Ganga and Tracy, so that made it very. Um, it just you know I kept meeting amazing teachers that trained with at the White Lotus Foundation. And so I checked it out and was like, okay, it was time for teacher training. That's where I ended up going. Now, did you have a, before you did teacher training, did you have a lot of, cause I'm trying to kind of figure out like the yoga, like the way yoga's done in California. Did you have a lot of exposure to like pranayama um, or philosophy or any of that? Or was it just strict asana classes that you had been to at that point? My experience was always started with pranayama and a brief meditation or centering period. Um, I got really into Anusara for a while. And so there was always the chant and all the, you know, the Dharma talk and the heart and the philosophy piece. Um, See, I think that's so cool because like, like, especially in DC, like mm-hmm. all we do is like you come into class and you start ripping chaturangas like for 15 minutes before you do anything else. Like there's really no pranayama, no meditation for a lot of classes, right? Especially at gyms and stuff. It's like right into the push-ups. like no, no foreplay, no nothing. <laughs> well, at the time, I mean, class was 90 minutes. That was it. There, there was no 60. I mean, the 60 minute was like a gentle 
there was a gentle class, I think that was 60 minutes. But I mean, it was a 90 minute class. You did a full on inversion um, of some sort. I mean, it was a, it was a very, it was a different time. I mean, it was a, it was an experience. Um, so there was, there was plenty of time to get all of the other elements in there. So do you I feel like, do you feel like that's been sort of a part of like the commoditization of yoga? Whereas like back in the late nineties, early two thousands, you, you could run a 90 minute class and have a profitable studio, but sort of these days, like a 90 minute class is kind of like out of the question because you have to have like five or six classes a day and you have to get as many people in as possible to like pay the rent. Do you feel like that's like, that's sure. kind of part of it. And I think also at least because everything kind of shifted when I moved to the East coast, I thought it was maybe just the East coast, but I've noticed looking back that things have shifted on the West coast too. I think it's also getting people to commit to 90 minutes feels big. Plus if they have to commute um, or, you know, pause their life to go to yoga, it, it almost felt like it was too big of an ask, you know, in the, mm -hmm. as um, I started teaching here. But I still try to add all the elements in when I teach, even though most of my classes are 60. I have a 75-minute class, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I hope everyone's okay with that extra 15. But I feel like, you know, to have that complete experience, if they want to just work out, like, I'm not the teacher for them. And I'm totally cool with that, you know. Um, and I recognize that because sometimes people come in and, you know, I've had people show up for restorative in shorts and a tank top, and I'm like, well, this is restorative, so you might want a blanket. But you kind of meet where they are. And I definitely think that you, the students that are going to be drawn to you are the students that are going to connect with what you're teaching. So there are, there's a student for every teacher and a teacher for every student. We just have to sometimes do a little searching for that. Yeah, I love that. I think, um, I think there's always, you know, there's 60 minutes in a class, but even if you spend just five more minutes, like sitting in silence and trying to meditate or doing some sort of pranayama, that's going to be much more beneficial than if we did 10 more push-ups. Like you can always just wake up in the morning and do 10 push-ups if you really want to do 10 push-ups, but like actually getting up in the morning and meditating, right? That's fucking hard, right? Yes, so you'll need sure. a teacher sometime to get you to do that. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes people will be like, oh, I want to get this mala. I'm like, are you going to jump it? They're like, oh, it's like, you know, it's not just a pretty necklace, but there's actually like a whole process. And, yeah. um, so how did you, how did you, when you did teacher training, were you like, you were like, all right, I just want to learn more about yoga or like, I know I want to teach. I think it was both. I think I knew I was moving. I was going to be moving to the East coast at some point. So I was trying to, um, I guess, reinvent myself or, you know, get ready for my next adventure. Um, and I had already been teaching ballet and tap and children's classes. So I had the kids down pat. I was like, okay, I can totally. Uh, I was a little afraid of adults, to be honest. I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm kind of a big kid at heart. They might, you know, how's this going to go over? But I mean, if you're authentically you, like I said, people are going to be drawn to you or not drawn to you and it's okay. It's all. Mm -hmm. So I think 
definitely I was thinking of teaching. I was, you know, because I was getting so much out of the yoga. I wanted to make, I wanted to spread that. Yeah. The, the breath and all the, just all the elements. I was so excited to pass that along and say, hey, you don't have to be stressed out all the time. Mm -hmm. like there's, there's another way of being. So did you, did you, what, at what point did you quit your job in the fashion industry? When you were like, that's it, I'm done with this. Like, did the yoga help with the stress? And then you were sort of like, okay, like I can do this for a little bit longer now that I know how to deal with the stress of all this. Or you're like, no, that's it. Like I'm in the wrong industry and I just got to like do something else. It was both. So um, I kind of, I knew that fashion wasn't for me because it was just, it felt so horrible to me and it was just not, it wasn't working out. And I think after I started yoga, so shortly after I started yoga, I got fired from the job I was at, started another job, and that wasn't going well either. And I finally was like, okay, it's me. It finally had to face like, okay, this is not the environment that I'm thriving in. This is like killing me. I'm, it's, I don't know how to deal with this environment and this type of workload. Um, so yoga helped me see that, see that part of myself, that it just wasn't work. I was trying to force something that, that just wasn't going to work. Um, so then it's like, well, now what? Right. And yeah. you kind of start exploring other things and you, and you, I figure, I mean, most of us are going to probably have career changes three, four, five times in our life, like just because we're doing, go to school for something or we um, work in a certain field. I love that, you know, you can reinvent that. If it's not working out, why not start again, try something else? But yeah. with that, with the wisdom of what you learn about yourself, you can help that journey hopefully get a little better. Mm-hmm more easeful because you, you so I am so thankful I mean, when I say yoga changed my life I know it's kind of one of those cliches but it, it truly did it helped me realize that my gifts were not Vogue magazine fashions and um, that was a relief or maybe or maybe the, maybe you did have a gift there it's just that you didn't enjoy using it for that <laughs> perhaps right? <laughs> I mean, like, like I always tell people, like I was a lawyer and like, I'm pretty argumentative and like, that's why I became a lawyer. But like, I didn't, I hated being a lawyer. And so I went to full-time fitness and then full-time yoga instructor. And I have a gift of like communication. And so it, you know, I could have used it as a lawyer, but that wasn't making me happy. So I used it as yoga teacher, which makes me happy. So the gift is still there. It's the question of like, you know, like how to use it. Right. Yeah how it gets expressed in a way that fulfills you or drains you. So you have to, um, so like true yoga, you know, style, you have the purge and the, the self-knowledge and the, like I call it the reinvention because you sort of are like, okay, I'm, I know I'm not that, what am I? And you just keep um, building this life that feels good and it nurtures who you are. Totally. So tell us, um, so you came to the East Coast, basically fell right into running a studio. Um, how did you kind of start that process? Like, did you, like, I guess you just inherited teachers and you inherited like the space and students and stuff. Did you, um, 
Tell us about the first couple of months, first couple, like the first year that you were running the studio, like in the, the learning curve and what you were doing. Well, this was um, when yoga just exploded. So within that first year, I had to move into the space I'm in now. It's upstairs from the original space. And I'm in, a, I'm in two units converted into one now. So it was just blowing up. I mean, everybody wanted to try yoga. Um, it was, I mean, you remember that period. Yes, I mean, that's, when I, that's when I started learning yoga was like 2012, like right in that time. I mean, some of the classes started having wait lists. We, it, it was just huge. Um, now I lost my train of thought. Well, that's okay. So you, so you just started to get, so 2010, 2012, like you can pretty much pinpoint that's when you start to see like that like curve go straight through the roof of like people coming to classes. Yep. So we, so we move into the, the larger unit and um, expand the classes, um, start hiring some of the, you know, had to adjust the schedule and try to figure it out. Um, but it was one of those just, it was incredible. It was it had already happened in California, so it was a little bit of a delay. So I just wasn't expecting it to do it here too in that in that way. But mm -hmm. just so that first year was just busy as heck. I mean, just totally trying to new things and experimenting, and um, I mean, a lot a lot of hours. But you know, you love it. You do it for the love of keeping the the yoga out there. Yeah. Do you guys, do you guys offer more than just yoga at your studio or do you offer like Pilates? Do you offer like bar or anything like that? Or is it just strictly yoga? I, um, I'm Pilates mat certified and I did that for a while, but I didn't really have a substitute. And I just, after, after I did my mat certification and then I started my 500, I was like, okay, I think yoga is going to just take over like my brain here. So right. if I'm, keeping up with my Pilates stuff and just teaching it here and there. I didn't feel like I was giving a good offering of it if I wasn't still studying it and immersing in it. So, um, and we, we tried to do bar. It didn't really do much here. Um, we, I found that at this studio, people just want the yoga. They, they, we've tried, um, adding a fitness element. We've tried adding other stuff, but it always seems to be, what this community wants is just, just keep the yoga. So have you what found that people coming there mostly for like stress reduction, like wanting to let go? Yes. Wanting to, you know, come down a bit and just feel accepted too. So we're really into community and just, you don't have to be perfect or dress a certain way or, or wear certain brands or, you know, you can just show up like as you are and nobody's, no one's going to look at you funny. Mm -hmm. There's no, you know, there's no uh, requirement dress code. Um, and I, my staff here are just, they're so authentic and I love that. There's, it's not a, there's, we don't do the in crowd. It's just like, be you and have a great experience and grow and do some yoga. So yeah. that's, that's been super important to me is to have a studio with that vibe where there's not that keeping up with the, the neighbor thing. 
So how long, so how long have you been teaching yoga? How many years have you been teaching yoga? Okay. So 12 years. 12 years at this point. So how has your teaching changed from the first kind of year that you taught to now? I mean, if you can sum that up in three sentences. <laughs> well, I definitely came out of teacher training like, we're going to do sun salutations. Yeah. Well, no matter who's in the room, that's what we're doing. And kind of scratching my head going, they don't know how to do them. Uh, and having to kind of regroup, I would say in the beginning I was – a little more hardcore and I had the perfect playlist. I spent hours, you know, making the right playlist that sped up and slowed down and had a mood. And, um, and as I've, I've matured as a yoga teacher, funny word, um, matured, it's like that stuff, it, now it's more like who's in front of me and what do they need? So I definitely have mellowed out and well, right now working um, mostly on Zoom, teaching on Zoom, I mean, you have to pare things down a bit and you can't, well, you've got to get the breath and get them calm first because everybody's kind of showing up with stuff. I mean, it's a roller coaster ride. But also you have to simplify, simplify a little bit because they, aren't, they are seeing a two-dimensional image of you. Um, and the camera's got to be at the right angle and you have to be able to hear you. So I definitely think I have mellowed out. I think I'm teaching smarter. I'm just using a lot more, responding more to what is in the room or what I'm perceiving than having a plan and saying, okay, we're, I'm going to teach this fantastic flow with all this stuff. It's, you know, maybe I have a plan idea in the back of my mind, but not, feeling like, well, we're doing it. You know, it doesn't matter who shows up. So I think that's part of just maturing as a teacher is you start to realize it's not, it's not a performance or, you know, you're not, they're not just following you. They're not just like monkey see monkey. Do you really get into more of the nuances of the poses and the, and, and like I said, just reading what they need. You know, I want to, it might come in. I want to work really hard today. And you just see that they're exhausted. They got bags under their eyes and you're like, okay, we'll work really hard. We can hold warrior two for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes rather than. Yeah. So, so it's like, it's, it, you know, what I, what I kind of um, have noticed as I start to age as a teacher, I'm not nearly as experienced as you are um, is I, I like to teach more uh, subtle movements and more, more muscles that we don't feel during the day rather than just trying to uh, use the muscles we do use every day. So like the supporting muscles, and you know this from Pilates, right? All kind of the supporting muscles of the hips and the spine to kind of like teach body awareness instead of just sort of like, instead of reinforcing the push-up or the muscles, like the big muscles that we already know we have, right? Correct, absolutely. Um, and I, th I think it's like, it's a much more, it's much more for me to watch students make that connection, you know, in the subtle parts of their body, like just so that they can learn how to sit up taller or to correct their posture, you know, when no one's looking like that is, 
you know, that's a real like life, like valuable lesson there rather than learning how to do maybe a headstand. And I'm not saying doing a headstand is bad, but like, honestly, do you need to stand on your head for 20 minutes a day? If you do Iyengar, of course you do. But most of us, we don't need to stand on our heads for 20 minutes a day. No. Um, <laughs> my neck, I had a neck surgery. So yeah, headstand is off the board without support. It's got to be in one of the chairs because that's just not a good thing. Uh, but it's fun to help them redefine how they perceive yoga or what they think they should be doing. And also, it's really incredible because in my time teaching, we went from like this one alignment, oh, this universal alignment, it's got to be the knee, 45 degrees, you know, whatever, to this like, well, the physical bodies that are showing up in our classes, they're not necessarily going to create those forms that we see in the magazines and the books. So having that variance and having the option to adjust the pose to fit the body, not the body to fit the pose, that's been a huge um, welcoming thing for me to see that we're finally starting to realize structures are different. And we can't assume that warrior two in this particular shape is going to work for most people because there's probably 5% that's going to look like, you know, Darren Rhodes or, you know, the, the perfect uh, pose. So that's been very exciting to see some of that fall away and not have that like, Oh, it's gotta be exactly this, or you're just not doing, you're not doing it right. So. Yeah. One of the things that I always, I always make fun of in a gentle way, of course, you know, because I'm not, you know, I try not to be insulting about it, but I always, I always thought it was funny when I see yoga students draw lines on their mat, you know, to where they want to put their hands and their feet and stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like, do you think you're Leonardo da Vinci and like, you're going to have a, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, unless yeah. you have sort of a perfectly proportioned body, like where you draw those lines is going to be different for everybody. And like drawing them is, I mean, it just doesn't like that just to me adds more like stress to be perfect into your life that you don't need. Right. Yeah. And I think that was, that was what I found so interesting from West coast to East. I don't know if it was just where I was studying, but when I moved here, there was such more, such a layer of the seriousness and perfection. Well, we're pitta dominant in this region. And I was like, what, what, what is that all about? I mean, it was so yoga had felt so serious here and everybody was in Ashtanga and everybody was into, you know, Jiva Mukti and um, these really, really, challenging practices and I, I kind of was like okay well I'm none of those things I'm just going to do what I know and teach what I know and see what happens so yeah so Tommy let's get into a little bit about like the quarantine and all kind of the last three months or so what did you have a did you have an online presence before the quarantine hit and before COVID hit I did not. And my only experience of Zoom, I had, um, we had a snowstorm last year during teacher training. So we had to do a Sunday um, online in Zoom. So that was my only experience of even using Zoom. So when this all happened, I, luckily I had that one experience and I just took my schedule and converted it all into online. I talked to all the teachers 
got every, you know, helped train anybody who wasn't familiar with it. And it, it, enrollment went up for me. Really? Because not, well, you have a captive audience. People can't really go anywhere. They don't have to worry about parking or driving or traffic. So it was, I have students that have moved out of the area that are taking classes with me now because they're like, oh, I can take classes again with the online. So um, it was, I think I taught a Monday night and then I, Tuesday, I just said the studio's closed, but join us on Zoom and just really, really quickly jumped into that. And it, I think that that helped a lot. There was no hesitation. I was just like, okay, I don't know how to do it exactly, but I will try. So there was really no like transition. There was no sort of like crisis of like, oh my God, what am I going to do? It was just sort of like, well, no, we're doing it. Me, like we're just doing it, right? We're doing it and uh, hoping for the best. So yeah. And I think, it helped, I think it helped. Teachers had their, their regular classes. So students didn't have to relearn the schedule. Um, you know, they love their teacher Tuesday morning. She's there. They don't have to, you know, who's going to be teaching and what time is the class and that sort of thing. That's really great. For sure. And um, are you still, are you still doing Zoom? Have you opened yet? I have not. It's still kind of back and forth. I'm still watching the new case numbers. I and I'm just not sure yet. Um, and it, people are cautious. My understanding, the, the larger studios that I've sort of contact with, they seem to be having cautious numbers. Some part of me is like, well, is that, does that even make sense to try to open if it's going to be two people, three people? Um, so my plan is probably in August, I'll do the simultaneous live stream and in person. So people really itching to get out, really want to be in studio um, can come, but also the online people will still have an opportunity to practice in the same class. So I got to figure all that out. Yeah. So you're going to like put a camera in the class and do like a camera on the teacher or something like that and do. That's cool. I'm, I'm going to try. I don't know um, exactly how it's all going to work out, but I have some ideas and uh, yeah. And then you just have, you just have the one room there in your studio. Yeah. We've got um, one asana room and then we have a, a Reiki and Thai yoga therapy treatment room as well. And were you, and now you do a yoga teacher training at your studio, correct? Yes. And when does that usually run? I either do September to June or um, January to um, October. And is there one going on right now? Yes. So tell me what you guys are doing because I just wrapped up mine and like it, like it was really, really difficult to do more than like three, four hours tops at a time over a zoom call. Are you guys doing like the eight hour marathon zoom calls? Like, how are you guys doing it? So let's see, we had just started uh, the class. We started in March, just how things kind of worked out. And so we had, um, what we do, we do four hours on a Friday and then we do um, eight hours on a Saturday and seven on a Sunday. So it is tricky because you have to, you can't just plow through it. So 
it's I've kind of rearranged modules so that we have you know a physical module and then we have a brain module then we have uh, practice teaching and stuff so it's really it's tricky and sometimes I'm just they're just like dying and I'm all, okay I gotta give them a break <laughs> adapt and you just you know you see where they are because sometimes it, I feel like on the Zoom, the longer Zoom calls, they're checking out a little earlier than when we're in person, obviously because of the format. So it is it is tricky, but just keep trying and, and trying to reach them. But the um, yeah, the longer days, I feel bad. I'm like I feel bad when it's in person, but on online, I mean, you're just stuck on the screen for so long well that's what that's what i was going to say because right even in the in-person ones right eight hours is a long day and you know it's not so bad for us because we're talking the whole time <laughs> right <laughs> it's hard when you have to actively listen for that amount of time for sure so i try to break it up and i try to watch how they're doing and, and change you know change directions several times so we're not we're not having any eight hour lecture module back-to-back -back modules because that's just not going to work they're not going to absorb everything anything after that first hour so um it takes a little more planning i mean i have to plan the weekend out a little more a little more structure it's not quite as um organic yeah. but the more i plan the better the better it goes so the more i sit down and kind of time things out and say okay this is how much time exactly we're going to you know take a break here mm -hmm. that's been being super organized which is not always a yoga studio owner's biggest strength yeah you know yeah well i don't know about the rest of the world but i know in this region <laughs> there there's some that are really really have their shit together and sort of some that sort of have their shit together um which was like you know fine from 2010 to 2019 when everybody was doing yoga and you know you could kind of get away with it but then now this hits and it's sort of like man if you don't have your shit together it's you know gonna be really tough to survive and you're gonna you're gonna bring yourself out just trying to keep up with whatever it is so luckily yeah. i have a little uh root chakra grounding just enough to to help me get through because yeah, if, if you're not organized, TT is not going to be very fun. Yeah. So how, like, how is your, what is your own yoga practice? Like, do you, do you, like, wake up in the morning and meditate and then do asana? Do you, like, wake up and walk? Like, tell us a little bit about your own, like, yoga practice, your personal yoga practice. Well, my personal practice, I have some therapeutics that I do because of my neck surgery and, and so forth. Um, and I, I like to japa, do japa meditation mm -hmm. with kamalas. Not all of them. I mean, there's usually one I'm working with for a period of time. Um, and I'm really starting to um, connect with doing more bhakti, a lot more chanting. Just, it helps me stay connected while we're in this funny time of not being close to others. So, most... Um, let's see, physically, it depends on the day. Some days I can tell I have some things to work through, so maybe a little more physical um, practice is needed. 
other days sitting quietly is the best choice. So um, I think yoga helps us find that self-regulation and find, you know, what's going to help it, what's not going to help it for, but it depends so much on so many factors. So do you do Do you do any cross training? Do you do anything else like lift weights or do anything? Um, no, nothing crazy like that. No, I ride a motorcycle. I mean, that's a workout. That's a workout. Yeah. Well, listen, man, people make fun of me, but like I make all my students do so much inner thigh work because we're so focused on like the outer thighs and sort of the external rotation. What's that? Adductors of the inner thigh are so weak. I'm like, nope, here we go. So yeah, awesome. right? Yes. Because I feel like in yoga, all we do is stretch that area out. We don't do any like, right? You're right. And, and people already have, a lot of people have a natural tendency to turn out at the hips. Um, and so, yeah, you're going to hear a lot about Padabanda in my class, that's for sure. But it's also just realizing the inner thighs need to be in on the action too. I mean, that's what's going to help keep the, the hips and the, the knees and the ankles in better alignment. So mm -hmm. I totally, sometimes I throw in a little Pilates. I think we did adductor squeezes a couple nights ago. <laughs> it's like, you're Whatever, welcome. Man. If you're focusing, it's yoga, right? I mean, so tell us a little bit more about motorcycle riding. How long have you been doing that? Um, I got my first set of two wheels in high school. Um, I had a little. I'm, glad, I'm sure that made mom and dad happy. Well, it was a scooter, so it couldn't really go oh, okay. very. <laughs> and there's just, ah, uh, there's just something about it. Talk about being in the moment. Like it's 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 yoga. I mean, you cannot be sitting there stressing about your life or worrying. You are operating two wheels, and you're not protected by a metal in fiberglass frame. You're not. Um, if it's hot, you're sweating. If it's raining, you're wet. I mean, you are in the moment and you're, you're vulnerable. So it can really, it really calms me down because I have to focus at the task at hand. I can't be up in my head um, going over, I don't know, the overthinking stuff that a lot of us do. Mm -hmm. I'm really good at overthinking. And the motorcycle really helps me just, you know, what's the purpose of that? How is that helpful? You know, you can go over a scenario eight times. It does not change. It doesn't necessarily, it's not going to change anything. It's just having that um, distressed moment. So mm -hmm. the wind on your face and, um, oh, it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's so, there's nothing like it. You've got to, you haven't, have you done it? Have you ridden a motorcycle? Oh, I've been on a motorcycle. It's, it's not my favorite thing in the world, but you know, I'm open to new ideas, Nancy. So, so, so one of these days when I make it down there, we can go for a ride together. <laughs> yeah. And it's also different if you're controlling the machine, that's going to be very different than somebody else doing it. And you're just like, why are they doing this? Oh my gosh, why are we leaning? So, um, but the, there's a freedom to it that I feel. Um, but I mean, I, where I, from my childhood, I mean, I love to talk to the animals and hug trees and that's just, so for me being in the elements just is very comforting. 
I mean, look, we all like innately love to talk to trees and, and talk to animals. And like, it's just society that makes us think that that's weird. <laughs> this is very true. Um, so, um, so tell us a little bit about how your classes are run there. Do you, do you have like a, like a, a higher, like a, I don't want to say a studio enforced, but is there like sort of like a classes must be run a certain way there? Like you have to have a Dharma talk at the beginning and then breathing and then the asana, or do you kind of let teachers like do what they want? I tried that a while back. Um, it doesn't work. Like they're yeah. not, I don't want them to be mini Nancy. I want them to be authentically themselves. Uh, so I don't, I don't have that, put that on them. I mean, if they show up and they're being authentic and they're teaching what they have to teach, we're good. Um, so me trying to dictate that, you know, and, and in the hiring process, I mean, I have a lot, they, they teach a full class. If it's someone I haven't trained personally, you know, coming in, I want to teach, um, they'll teach a full class because I want to see, you know, when they're stressed, how do they react? You know, how, if, you know, how do they hold that space? Cause doing 10 minutes, I don't think is, is enough. And I'm not going to be sitting in the studio every time they're teaching. There's a, they have a lot of independence. So, um, for a while, oh, you know, if you're teaching a class called vinyasa, you had to do an inversion, and it just doesn't work like that. Because again, who's in front of you? What do they need? What what's going to serve the the student best? And I, I have no idea because I don't. It depends on who shows up and, and right. what what they brought with them, their baggage and, and all that stuff. Do you ever, do you ever um, get out to other yoga studios in the area? Like what's the nearest yoga studio to you? Or is there another one in town? Um, there's not another one in town. There's a, f a few not too far from me, but I'm not very good about getting out of kind of a. Because the reason why I ask is because, because I live, because I live in DC, right? And I work at Vita and I work like 12 hour days and like I get to like, there's yoga studio like within a 15 minute walk with, with, for me, but like I get out to other yoga studios maybe once every three months. So, I, so I live in a very like, right. For sure. It is. It's really tough, but I mean, with this whole quarantine thing, I mean, I'm committed. I take classes with some teachers that I just absolutely love that are out of the area. So I've made it, I've made that commitment that I'm going to get that, practice with other teachers now that I have this ability to. So yeah. that, that's been really great because that helped kind of get me into that other studio stuff. Cause yeah, I used to purposely like every three months I would go to a studio I didn't know and just take class and see what they're doing. And I, it kind of fell away cause you know, I gotta work and I gotta be available in case anybody at the studio needs something and this, and, but it's um, it's important to know what else is out there. That's for sure. And to yeah. check things out. So I've been yeah. doing a lot of that since um, the quarantine. So um, how about some resources, like either websites or teachers you enjoy or books you've enjoyed that are like kind of at the heart of your yoga practice? Absolutely. So 
Ganga White from White Lotus has his Yoga Beyond Belief. Uh-huh. Uh, this is a, an amazing book. So he, he was in the Shivananda tradition. He was an officer and he studied under Swami uh, Vishnu Devananda. But he ended up leaving as he saw corruption and politics and that kind of thing. So I think right now, even though this book is probably 10 years old or older, it's really timely as we're having a lot of these guru lineages kind of, you know, you know what's happening. Shattered. Shattered. Yeah. Because <laughs> his approach is like you make the yoga fit you. So very inclusive. Um, and just you do yoga your way is sort of his thing. You do it your way. Like you don't need someone to dictate to you that, you know, it's not yoga if it isn't ABCD. So I think that that book, you know, Beyond Belief would, is, would be really helpful. People are kind of struggling with, um, you know, what do I do now? Yeah. Uh, love the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita. Like, you know, it's not something you sit down and read all the way through. Um, I like Eric Schiffman's book, Moving Into Stillness. I think that's another, he's similar with his, you know, your yoga, your way type of um, philosophy. Mm -hmm. Those are my main, my main go-tos. Cool. Um, So, and people can find you on, um, on your website. Any other links online for you? Any other? Yes. So, um, soaringspirityoga.com is our website. Um, we're on social media, soaring underscore spirit underscore yoga. Um, also on Facebook, newsletter. <laughs> and, um, and do you have any, like, um, are there any, are there any intro offers for your virtual classes or any kind of like virtual member, do you have virtual memberships or is it just a one membership for everyone? Um, is just a uh, one membership, but a new student, it's a three class pass for 35. So it's a pretty good price. Can't beat it. There you go. Right. That's, <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Nancy. Thank you, Chris. It was great talking to you. Yeah. It was so nice to hear from you. Um, you've been listening to the DC yoga podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Parkinson and, uh, we'll catch up uh, next time. Take care. Thank you.